Um, I, I wanted to start today with a story. Is, are you guys okay with a story? Yeah, okay. So um, I'm going to start with a story. It's, it's become my favorite story over the past couple years because how many of you know, uh, did anybody have COVID on their calendar? Like in 2019, you said, hey, 2021, it's going to be like, you, okay, me either. I did not plan on it. Like whatever your view of all of COVID is, it, it was a couple years of chaos. And so here's my favorite story. A passenger in a taxi leaned over to ask the driver a question and tapped him on the shoulder. The driver screamed and lost control of the cab. Nearly hit a bus, he drove, uh, drove up, up the curb and he stopped just inches from a large plate glass window. For a few moments, everything was silent in the cab. And then the still shaking driver said, I'm sorry, but you scared the heck out of me. The frightened passenger apologized to the driver and said he didn't realize that a mere tap on the shoulder could frighten him so much. Driver replied, no, no, I'm sorry. It's entirely my fault. Today is my first day driving a cab. I've been driving a hearse for the last 25 years. Can you imagine the difference between like 25 years in silence just and then getting a tap on your shoulders? Man. Now, you might be thinking, um, gosh, this is sort of how pastors do it. They start with a funny story, hope to get you in a good mood, and then maybe you'll listen for a few minutes. But that's not the case. This story actually has to do something to do with the world that we live in. So just hang on. And by the way, I've got kind of a, a bruised heel, so I'm going to uh, be seated most of the time while I talk today. But I realized I was a little off center, and I'm trying to be in the center here. So we'll get closer to the center if we can do that. Um, so I just wanted to share with you a, a few things. Um, I love this series that you're in, this whole series about building your life. What do you build your life? on. A couple of weeks ago, I think you talked about building your life on Jesus, building your life on the Bible, on God's Word. And then last week, you just really dove in it, building your life on a, on a biblical view of human sexuality. Those are some tough topics. Um, how many of you know that in some ways, it, it feels like the whole world has changed the last, uh, last little bit? I, I grew up, uh, I'm, I'm 61, so I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and a lot of chaos happened then. Uh, but boy, it sure seems like the last few years, a lot has changed. Let me give you four words that uh, researchers say that the general population describe Christians with. Four words. Mean, angry, condemning, judgmental. When asked, tell me about Christians, people say mean, angry, condemning, judgmental. Now, I gotta be honest, I, I don't think about you that way. I don't think about me that way. And by the way, I don't think we are that way. But we live in a world that's been so shaped by media, uh, by those folks who kind of have a vested interest in that. I, I think Ephesians 6 tells us there's spiritual warfare that's going on that helps that perception be seated. And so today, I wanna kind of carry on in this series and say, what does it mean to build your life with redemptive presence? So remember, I used the words uh, simple and simplistic. I'm not very enamored with simplistic. Uh, does anybody have an iPhone here today? Have an iPhone? Don't, don't be looking at it during the service, okay? Do you have an Android? Does anybody have an Android? Okay, no, some of you said, no, I don't have an Android. But uh, here's the thing. That little um, personal device that you have, that communications device, uh, is very, very sophisticated. It's unbelievably complex engineering. But you know one of their great goals is to make it as easy to use as possible. Some of us can still mess it up, no matter how much the engineers try. But something that seems simple is not simplistic. It's often what's very complex, but has been made easy to understand. So I'm kind of enamored with simple. Today, I'd like to talk to you about redemptive presence. Because I think if you're a follower of Jesus, 
Life is about coming to know Jesus, about growing to maturity in him, and reproducing the life of Jesus in the lives of others. I want to kind of anchor our time on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. If you have a Bible, or you do have an iPhone or an Android, and you've got a Bible app, just go to that passage, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 21, and I'll tell you a little bit about the, the context here. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in a, in a city called Corinth. Now, I know in our day, we sometimes go like, oh, San Francisco, what a horrifyingly bad place. Morality, I mean, it's beautiful, but just the morality there, terrible. Or maybe you think Las Vegas. You go, oh, Las Vegas, there's just terrible stuff that happens there. And I, I want to be honest with you. Those places, I think, are, have, have many things in them that are very damaging and very uh, dangerous and a lot of just challenging stuff. I'm, I'm saddened by what's happened. But you need to just hear this. The moral temperature in San Francisco or Las Vegas of our day pales in comparison to the really debauched, um, just uh, sexually immoral, godless environment of Corinth. The early church was birthed in settings that just had no real moral compass. So Paul's writing in this second letter to the Corinthians to a group of people who are trying to figure out what does it mean to live for Jesus? What does it mean to live with redemptive presence in a really messed up world? Here's the story. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 21. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. After, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we can do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, that's a great passage, and there's a lot in it. And I was thinking, like, I really want to talk about redemptive presence, and I want to anchor this in one passage. So here's what I decided to do. I read this 2 Corinthians passage, and I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it. I've read it a bunch of times. I've taught on it a bunch of times. But this is what I did, and I wanted to model this for you. I literally just went through the passage and said, what are the phrases that stand out to me? What are the kind of truths that pop out? And by the way, you can do this at home. You don't have to be a trained professional like I am. Like I got a microphone. I, I'm a trained professional. You can do this at home. If before you read your Bible, you'll pray and say, Holy Spirit, will you just show me today what I need to know from these verses, this chapter or this section? And sometimes God will just cause words or a phrase to jump off the page. Now, I don't want you to be afraid. I have seven points. Now, I grew up Baptist, and every Baptist has a three-point sermon. But I knew I was coming to a four-square church, so I wanted to add four more so we could have seven points. 
a three-point sermon is usually 30 minutes. I'm thinking seven points to give us 75 minutes. And since this is the second service, we have no time limits, right, Pastor? Yeah, not so much. Okay, so here's the deal. I promise I'm going to go super quick. These are just seven things that jumped out at me from the passage. If you read it, by the way, maybe something different. Maybe God would highlight something a little bit different. But I think you'd get this basic content. Here's the first one. I think we've got them up on the screen. Number one, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels. That's kind of the first part of that, that first sentence. I, I love that, that God is the first mover. Uh, my wife Pam is here today, and our wedding invitation, we've been married 43 years, and on our wedding invitation, 43 uh, plus years ago, we put this verse, 1 John 4:19. We love because he first loved us. How many know this? God is love. He's perfect love. And whatever love you have, if you're married, if you've got kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, cousins, if you've got somebody who's your boyfriend or girlfriend you're trying to love, whatever love we have as human beings is an imperfect reflection of the perfect love of God. We love because he first loved us. I, I love that saying. Christ's love compels us. Because we have received love, then we can act and we can begin to think about loving others. There would be no love between us human beings if it weren't for our creator loving us. That's the first thing. Here's the second one. All of us need a savior. All of us need a savior. Here's the truth, folks. Maybe you were born and raised in church. Some of you in this room, you were born and raised in church, at least from the outside. You go like, I've lived a pretty normal life. I've lived a pretty moral life. Maybe that's you. But even if you've lived a moral life, you know this. Aren't you glad that nobody yet can read all your thoughts? Like even if on the outside you're pretty well controlled, your behaviors are pretty okay, you've never really totally gone astray, and, and your words have been pretty okay, aren't you glad nobody can read your thoughts? But guess what? I know somebody who can and somebody who does. The Bible says that he knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows the stuff that's in there that we never let come out, that we never actually do, but he knows everything within us. But maybe not that, that's not your story. Maybe, maybe you weren't born and raised in church. You, you lived a life where it wasn't a narrow path. You just kind of explored everything. And there's a lot of stuff you look at and go like, oh, I, I wish I didn't do that. Or maybe I'm still involved in some of those things. Let me just say this to you. Every single one of us need a savior. I, like, this is a great church. I love this church. I love your pastors. And, and I think God's doing great things here. This, going to this church does not make you a good person. And even if you go to this church and you are a good person, being a good person doesn't get you into heaven. Being a good person doesn't earn you your relationship with God. We all need a savior. Jesus Christ went to the cross. And the way I like to explain it this way is he, he, he paid a debt he, that he didn't owe and he paid a debt that I owed that I never could pay. So let me just give you an illustration. Let's say you walk out of this room today, and I stop you in an official law enforcement uniform, and I say, look, it's legal. You owe a debt, and you have to pay a million dollars in the next five days, or you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. Most of us in this room will go like, cuff me, you know, because there's nothing. I, I can't pay a million dollars. Some of you in this room, you'd wire the funds and take care of it. Come on, I have faith. Okay, but let's say I said, look, you don't owe a million. You don't owe a, a 10 million, 100. You owe a billion dollars. Well, probably everybody in this room would go, you know, cuff me. There's just no way I could come up with a billion dollars. A debt we owed that we never could pay was paid by Jesus, who didn't owe any debts because he was sinless, 
but he died on the cross to pay the penalty, to pay the debt that we owe. We all need a savior. I don't care if you've done a little bad or a lot bad, we all need a savior. Number three, once you receive the savior, um, he owns you. Now that's kind of politically incorrect. Like, right? Because we all want to be free and independent and like, oh, I'm creative, I'm innovative. And, I, you know, I, I love entrepreneurship, so I, I love people starting their own businesses and all that. But let me just say this to you. If you surrender your life to Jesus, he not only paid the debt that you owed but could never pay, and he paid a debt he didn't owe but he was willing to pay, but once you say yes to him, he owns your life. He is your Lord. He's not just the one who paid the debt. He becomes the master, the owner of your life. That's a different perspective for a lot of us, but the Bible's really clear, and this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 is clear. You are not your own. Once you come to know Jesus, you've surrendered the trust deed, the keys to your life. Does that make sense? Okay, look at number four. In Christ, uh, we all are become new, and that's our fundamental reality. So let me say this, and again, maybe not politically correct. It's no longer your gender. It's no longer your race or ethnicity. It's no longer your socioeconomic status, rich, poor, etc. It's no longer how tall you are or whether you're uh, skinny or not. There is no characteristic about you as a follower of Jesus that's your number one identity. Your number one identity, once you come into the household of faith, is you become a son or a daughter of God. You become a son or daughter of God, and that's your number one identity. Now, all the other stuff doesn't go away. Yes, you still have a gender. Yes, you still have a race or ethnicity. Yes, you still have your economic status. Yes, you still have your height. Yes, you still have your weight. I mean, all that stuff's still there, but it's not fundamentally who you are. You are a son or daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. Everything else is second, third, fourth, or like way, way, way down the list. We, we sang a song this, this morning that talked about shame. A lot of us, we look at our life and our life resume looks like Swiss cheese. I mean, it's got like all kinds of stuff in it. We're like, oh, I wish that didn't happen. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't do that. When you come to know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, all that stuff gets put away and your fundamental identity is you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. That is awesome. Number five. Um, this is such a cool phrase in there. It says, the, the people who've been reconciled become reconcilers. I, I have the privilege in my role to interact with all kinds of people. And some of the people that I have the most um, affinity or, or affection for are people who work in prison ministry who were formerly imprisoned. I love that the formerly imprisoned get to become ministers to those imprisoned. And you know, to be honest, like I've visited prisons before, but I've never been a resident. You can check it out. I, I've never been a resident. But I have some friends who have been. And my friends who have been can speak with authority about the healing, freeing love of Jesus in a way that I can't to a prisoner. Now, I, I got other things I can speak to, but I love the fact that the reconciled become reconcilers. So the Bible says that we were at, at odds with God, but when we become reconciled through Jesus, we actually become then reconcilers. Number six is this, kind of is tied together. Ambassadorship is your primary vocation. 
Uh, my wife and I got the chance this past week to go to uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, and be at the headquarters of Hobby Lobby. Does anybody go to Hobby Lobby? Yeah. You can become poor very quickly in that place. I mean, it, it's amazing. Well, we got to meet with the Green family who founded Hobby Lobby. We met with a, with a father, uh, David Green. We met with Steve, the son, and we met with one of the grandsons, uh, along with a uh, number of other people. It's just really interesting and fun. And uh, Hobby Lobby's got a great story, by the way. They've put their entire business into the control of God. They are not in the control of the SEC. They're not in control of a bunch of shareholders. They, they have a 1% voting block that controls everything else. And this is the way they do it. 50% of their profits uh, go to kingdom of God causes. The other 50% of their profits go immediately uh, to rebuilding the business or, or pouring back into the business so they can uh, reap more profits for the glory of God. But none of the kids, none of the grandkids like own the company and get dividends. It's an amazing story. But can I tell you this? And Mr. Green, David Green, was unequivocally clear. His number one role in life is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He happens, by the way, to be a totally whacked out, geeky retailer. He was telling us in the story about he knows all the stock numbers. He knows the different things that are in the stores. Like you go down the bins and go like, oh, should I buy this silk flower or that silk flower? He knows which silk flower produces which profit and how much it costs and what it means to display, how long it's been on the shelf. Like he knows all that stuff. He's 81 years old. I was listening to him geeking out about his business, and I was also listening to his love for Jesus. I kept saying, if Jesus ever grew up, I want to be like that at 81. I want to be alive and vibrant with a love for God, because this is the truth. I don't know what you do for work. I really don't. I, I, I don't know what your vocation is. I don't know what your assignment in life is. I don't know if you work for a big company, you work for a small company, if you work for a government, or education. I don't know what you do. But let me tell you this, your number one vocation no matter what it says on your resume or what you think about as your primary assignment, your number one vocation is to be an ambassador of heaven. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And you're that way in your family. You're that way in uh, your neighborhood. You're that way in your work. Uh, you're that way in school. You are an ambassador of heaven. Last one, number seven. Becoming the righteousness of God manifest on earth is our assignment. The righteousness of God manifest, made, made known on earth is our assignment. Those are the seven things I pulled out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So what does that have to do with building our life on redemptive presence? Today I'm going to talk to you about two things, but I want to do so from the context of reading one verse to you. Romans chapter 14 verse 17 has become increasingly important to me because remember, I like simple. The older I get, the more I want things to be simple. And again, not simplistic, but simple. Just say it so like I can grab hold of it. Here's what it says. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the way I read that, especially in light of 2 Corinthians 5, is I read that and go like, Paul is telling me in this passage that the kingdom of God is righteousness, like living my life in alignment with God. It's peace and it's joy. So I got to ask myself, in every atmosphere in which I am existing as an ambassador of Jesus, a son or daughter of the Most High, as a, uh, as a reconciler, am I bringing righteousness, peace, and joy? Oh, by the way, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. By the way, have you ever tried to have righteousness, peace, and joy in your own strength? Not happening, folks. Not happening. I I've tried. And I know lots of people who've tried really hard. Righteousness, 
peace and joy in the turbulent, crazy world we live in only comes when you walk in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So, Oz Guinness is a British guy, and, and I have a sister-in-law who's British. I love her dearly, and sometimes they speak without a filter. So 15, 20 years ago, I read this quote from Oz Guinness, and it's bothered me for all this time. But I want to read it to you so it'll bother you. This is my gift to you. <laughs> I'm leaving after today, and I'll just leave it with Pastor to, to fix this. But this is what he said. The problem with Christians in America is not that Christians aren't where they should be, the problem is that they're not what they should be right where they are. That is so agitating. That's a good word. The problem is not that we're not where we should be. The problem, from his perspective, is that we're not what we should be right where we are. That's a hard one. Back in ancient times in Israel in the Old Testament, uh, there was a really turbulent season, kind of like maybe we're going through right now. And there was a, a group of people that were known. First Chronicles 12, 32 says, the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what to do. I, I think we're in a little bit of those kind of times. I, I think about Joseph. Think about Nehemiah. Think about Moses. I think about Esther. All were people who were in really dicey situations in totally pagan settings, and they knew the right thing to do. So what does it mean to be a redemptive, a reconciling presence in today's turbulent world? And again, I, I don't know where you work. I don't know anything about your family. I, I, I don't know all the, the specifics of your life, but I just want to suggest two areas. If you want to build your life as a redemptive presence, you think about all that 2 Corinthians 5 said about being reconcilers, ambassadors. Think about Romans, uh, righteousness, peace, and joy. There's two areas I want to talk to you about. The first one comes from Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4 um, verse 6 and 7, it, written to another group that was in a kind of a rough city, Colossae, and it says this, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity, and let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, you guys all know this phrase. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't... Right, right. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That statement is absolutely true. You can lead a horse to water, can't make him drink, but it misses one key thing. You can lead a horse to water, can't make him drink, but you can give him salt to make him thirsty. Got any French fry lovers in the room? Love French fries? Okay. Have you ever had French fries and nothing to drink? When you eat French fries, after a little bit, your mouth started to get, and go, I need some water. I need water. Because the salt just makes you want to have water. So you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can give him salt to make him thirsty. Now let me just tell you one more thing. Grace is the salt of a believer's witness. How many of you know we live in a world that doesn't have much grace? We live in a cancel culture world. We live in a world that judges people based on their income, their clothes they wear, their gender, their, their skin color. We, we live in a world that has all kinds of artificial lenses for how people get judged. One of our songs that talked about shame just like said that right there, that shame has no place once you come into relationship with Jesus. So let me just ask you, 
Are you being redemptive presence with your speech? I'm just gonna be honest with you. Sometimes the hardest places to do this is with your family. And again, I, I don't know anything about you. I, I just know the human condition. I know my life. I know the human condition. Like you have some family members, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a brother or sister, maybe it's a, a, a mom or dad or an aunt or an uncle or a niece or nephew or cousin, and you, you know that they know this is the way that they poke you. There, there's stuff that they say, there's memories from the past, and they just poke you, and as soon as you're with them, like your blood pressure goes, and man, you want to... Would you do this? The next time you're with somebody difficult, neighbor, friend, family member, co-worker that's just an agitator before you open your mouth would you say this holy spirit please guard every word from my mouth and help it be pleasing to you so when they lob that missile at you and they probably will because it's happened before when they lob that missile at you instead of you re reacting in the natural like i know you want to because i know i want to what you do is you ask the Holy Spirit to guard the words that come out of your mouth. So you can be full of grace, full of truth. A lot of times you need to say truth that are hard things, but you got to say truth in a way that it's seasoned with grace. So say truth, but say it in such a way that's full of grace. If you want to live your life and build your life on redemptive presence, be full of grace in the way that you speak. Grace is the salt of a believer's witness. One area you can build a redemptive life is your speech. Here's the second one. It's your behavior. Matthew chapter 5 says this. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who's in heaven. We don't have time to go there today, but in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, By grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of ourselves and not of works that no one should boast. And that's a, a verse and a passage a lot of us know about. Hey, I've been saved by grace. But did you know what Ephesians 2.10 says? In order that you might walk in good works that were prepared beforehand for you. The reality is, is that we are saved by grace through faith in order that we might live out the life that God intends for us. Your speech is full of grace, but your life should also be a light. It should point the way to God. People should look at you through the turbulence of life and go, what is up with you? I saw what she said to you. I saw what he did to you. I saw, why don't you react? Now, if you're anything like me, when something bad is done to you, your first, second, and third reaction is, I'm going to squash them. I'm, however you acted to me, I'm going to go 2X on you so that that doesn't ever happen again. I know you can't believe it looking at me now. You should be an athlete. The goal of an athlete is to win. You, you, don't, you don't like do something to have, you do it to win. So in the natural realm, our orientation when somebody does something to us is to respond with full force. But remember that verse from Romans 14? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If people watch the way you behave, if they experience the reality of your life, do they see righteousness peace, and joy. By the way, if that's what you want, please don't try this on your own strength. Because left to our own devices, as natural human beings, we're going to react in the natural. 
But if you want to live a life and build it on redemptive presence, be so present with God, be so in the Holy Spirit that his presence brings you his righteousness, his peace, and his joy. Your speech and your behavior are amazing opportunities for you to reach people around you. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? I'm sure the vast majority of you in this room would say, you know, I have a relationship with God. I, I am a follower of Jesus. I, I came to church and gave up part of my Sunday morning because I know my life is not my own. I'm, I'm owned by Jesus. And I think that's awesome that you did. But maybe as a follower of Jesus today, you would say, look, um, to be honest, I, I got some things that have come out of my mouth in the last few days or weeks that um, I know are not pleasing to God. And so maybe today's the day where you say, God, um, I just want to give you control of my speech. Scripture tells us that the, the tongue is an exceedingly hard thing to tame. It's like it can start forest fires in an instant. And many of us in this room, we know that. So maybe for you today, that's the moment of surrender where you go like, I want to live redemptively. I want to be a reconciler. I want to be an ambassador. I want my fundamental identity to be a son or daughter of the Most High, but man, the stuff that comes out of my mouth. If that's the case, I want you to place your speech on the altar this morning. Or maybe for you, it's not speech, it's your behavior, and you just go, man, you don't know, and you don't have to know, but I got stuff in my life, and some of it's from the past, and for some of us in this room, it's in the present and it's our behavior that, that really is the challenge. And it's so hard to give this area of behavior over to God. But that's what he's been speaking to you today. If that's the case, I want you to be able to place your behavior on the altar. I want your life to be full of the redemptive presence of Jesus. That as a follower of Christ, you could know that bringing other people to him and growing to maturity in him, that that's what your life is about. But I also don't want to neglect the fact that maybe in this room there'd be somebody who says, you know what, <laughs> listen to this, I just never really have said yes. I've never really said yes to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to know that when he was hanging on that cross, with all the power of heaven, the ability to come off that cross, he stayed on that cross. And he shed his blood. And he did that for me. And he did that for you. So with your eyes still closed, Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you for the richness of your word. I thank you for the love that you demonstrate to us. Thank you that our fundamental identity is not, um, it's not our gender or our race or ethnicity. It's not our income level or educational level. It's not our height or weight or any other thing. But as followers of you, Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Holy Spirit, would you take our speech? Would you take our behavior? And for some of us, God, today might be the day where we just say, would you take my life? So that we could surrender that into your hands. And God, we so love you. And we're so grateful for you. And we thank you so much. I thank you for this church. I pray blessing upon Pastors James and Pastor Lindsay and the whole team here. Ask Holy Spirit that this church might indeed be life church in Roseville and that you might cause a great harvest. Thank you for their faithfulness. In just a moment, we're going to close. At the close of the service, if you want to find uh, Pastor Lindsay or...
Paige or uh, Gavin or any of the other folks, uh, we just want to encourage you to do that. Holy Spirit, would you seal in us your word and would you seal in us that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you.